good morning, everyone. Nice. Strong good morning this morning. Um, you know, this coming Wednesday is Veterans Day, and I just want to stop and think for a moment that we are able to come into this building, uh, pursue Jesus. We are able to worship God freely without fear of punishment. Uh, we're able to sing together and lift one voice, glorifying God, uh, because there are people who laid down their lives, and even for those that didn't lay down their lives, gave time and sacrificed greatly uh, so that we could have a country where we are free to do what we're doing right now. So just for one moment, I know veterans usually don't like doing this, but I'm asked the veterans to stand up, please. If you have served in any of the branches of the military, please stand right now. We just want to honor you and give you guys a hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for serving all of us. And online, if you're a veteran and you're watching, uh, just put up the little hand emoji, like raising your hand, saying that you're one too, so all of our online people can comment and brag on you as well. Thank you guys for that. Before we get into the word, let's pray and let's ask God to guide this time. God, we just humble ourselves before you. We acknowledge our need for you in every area of our lives. We would not dare open your word and teach it and talk about you and try and even discuss truth without acknowledging that we cannot even have truth without you. We can't find truth without you. We're fully dependent on you. Holy Spirit, you're the spirit of truth. Jesus said you would guide us into all truth. So we ask you to do that today. I ask you to give all of us present and all watching online that you would give us ears to hear uh, the truth, hear what the spirit is saying, and that as it says in James, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers also, not deceiving ourselves. All this, God, I ask that you would be glorified in our time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. John chapter 18. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to read in John chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 28. This is after Jesus had been betrayed by one of the disciples named Judas, and he was handed over and arrested. And now he was going to go give an account as he was going to be tried in front of the rulers and governors. Um, and so we're going to start John chapter 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went, inside, or went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him, or judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die, meaning crucifixion. Verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called to Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? He's saying, do you even really, you really want to know or are you just asking what other people said? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Pilate asks what a lot of people are asking today. What is, what is truth? Isn't truth relative? Isn't it subjective? And it's funny, he then goes on to say one of the most true statements that have, have ever been said. Verse, uh, continuing on in verse 38, after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. There goes Pilate speaking the truth right after he said, what is truth? Truth is that this man, Jesus, 
is guiltless. He's faultless. He's sinless. One day, uh, a few weeks ago, I was in a medical facility, and uh, before I went back, had to do all the pre-screening stuff where they check your temperature, blood pressure, um, you know, all that kind of stuff, your weight. And the young lady who was helping me, she saw that I had a book with me because very often you have to pass time in medical facilities. So I had a book with me and she said, what, what are you reading? And I said, oh, this is a book called Desiring God. And she went, what's that about? And I said, well, the main premise of this book, the author is saying that we were created to give glory to God. And the one way that we give the most glory to God is by showing that we are fully satisfied in him. His mantra is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That there's nothing that shows how glorious God is by nothing shows more than people wanting God, loving God, serving God, and showing in our lives, in our actions, in our deeds, that he is more valuable to us than money that he's more valuable to us than any relationship, that he's more valuable to us than any material possession, that he's more valuable to us than our careers, that he's more valuable to us than any acclaim or achievement we could have, and that we give God great glory by living that way. And uh, maybe I didn't preach it so much, but I told her, like, that's the gist of the book. And she said, oh, what religion are you? Are you, are you Catholic? And I said, well, I'm a Christian, and she said, oh, me too. And I was like, awesome. And then she, uh, she went on and she said, yeah, you know, God is love. And I was like, yeah, he is. And he's so good. And I was like, yeah, isn't he so good? And she said, and you know what? We are just like God, equal with him. And we can do anything God can do. And that's when I went. I can go with you so far. But you just said some things where my flag rose up. And we live in a society today where uh, truth is not, either not important or not objective. And uh, you can, probably all of you have had conversations where you've, or you've overheard things where people say things like, your truth, that's your truth, or I'm just living my truth. And truth really nowadays means something more like what I want to be true or what I hope is true or what I believe is true, what I prefer to be true. And all those caveats and disclaimers really disqualify the word truth. It's all so subjective and it's problematic primarily um, for, for many reasons, but primarily uh, that relative truth or subjective truth is direct contradiction to the word of God and to the character and nature of God. And then secondarily, if truth is relative, then there's no way, there is no way to know how we are to operate in this world and do this thing we call life. Each person's conscience becomes the supreme ruler of what should be, our own ability to think and reason and weigh things out. And then if you've got a world of people whose rulers are themselves, well, that's not going to end well. Listen, truth matters. Mind-blowing, I know. But it has to be said today. Truth matters. In philosophy, there is a theory called the correspondence theory, which basically states that in order for something to be true, it must relate to reality, or it must correspond to reality. It can't be true if it doesn't correspond with reality. And truth matters because it gives us parameters to safely and wisely operate in this world and in this life. The more truth you have, the more your expectations will line up with reality. We make decisions based on the truth. We live and die by the truth. You can ask the airline pilot if truth matters to them as they are responsible for safely transporting hundreds of lives from point A to point B to that person it matters what is fixed truth. So you could be an airline passenger and you could be enjoying the flight and say, uh, uh, stewardess, just a second, and they could come by and you could go, listen, um, I was wondering if I could go to the cockpit and talk to the pilot. First off, they're going to be like, no. 
But beyond that, they might try to entertain and, and say, is there something I can help you with or what? And if you went on to say, well, I just, we're on a 747, and I know that the minimum distance, landing distance for a 747 on a runway is 5,500 feet, but I really feel like we could push that a little bit. Like, what if we, just for kicks and giggles, I know we're flying to this airport, but there's one that's only like two miles away. It's pretty much the same city. that has a shorter runway. And YOLO, so <laughs> I just really feel like we shouldn't limit this plane's capabilities to a big runway. When what if the plane wanted a smaller runway? It's probably somewhat of the reaction you're going to get from the flight attendant. Why? Because her life depends on that fixed truths that help the pilot determine according to the weight and size and speed and velocity and all that stuff and gravity and friction with brakes and tires and all that. All these fixed truths that no one's debating determine that these people are able to safely land and continue living. But no one's going, well, well, what if... I mean, what if that distance was relative? What if we just made it shorter for kicks and giggles? No one's thinking that way. In fact, truth continues to matter to the doctor. If you are visiting your doctor and you lie to your doctor, that's stupid. <laughs> because they cannot help you if you're not telling them the truth. If they ask you, how have you been eating? Uh, I've been eating just my greens and only drinking water all day, every day. And you've been living on McDonald's diet. Your lie is going to make their help impossible. They depend on the truth. You as a patient depend on the truth. Truth matters to the defendant. If they've been falsely accused, they want the truth to come out. The truth matters to the prosecutor. If they've been wrong and want justice, they're depending on the truth coming out. Truth matters to the judge who has to weigh both sides and go, where are the facts? So much so that they make you put your hand on a Bible and say, do you solemnly swear to tell the, the whole and nothing but the so help you God? Why? Why is it when people's lives are on the line, truth can be fixed and the true testimony matters in court but as it pertains to religion, faith, spirituality, morality, Christianity, theism, well, truth is relative. No, truth is truth. And truth matters. At Word of Grace, we have a core value that says we are willing to give up what we believe for the truth because Scripture defines truth, not our ideas. Today, truth is so, truth is like Play-Doh. Let, let me twist and shape and press this to fit into the mold that I want to be truth. This is my truth, this mold, I'm going to press it in there. Whether that mold is my feelings, whether that mold is pop culture, what's socially acceptable, don't say that. Don't tell people that that's, that's your truth. But whether that mold is whatever it might be. Can I just say your feelings will lie to you often. Anyone who's had a boyfriend or a girlfriend and is no longer with that individual can attest to the fact that your feelings can lie to you. Right? One day they're the one, and then one day you're like, thank God I found out that they weren't the one. Why? Because your feelings one day had you so convinced. Your feelings change with the weather especially in Wisconsin. <laughs> People get so mad about the snow. Uh -oh. People get so mad about the snow to where they let it determine their feelings for the day. And then those feelings determine their outview and their perspective on different things. Your feelings change all the time. No change. Jesus said, or he said, I am the Lord God, or God in the Old Testament said, I am the Lord God, I change not. The New Testament said, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Scripture tells us the word of the Lord will stand forever. Over and over and over. It says many, many, many things like that. As I mentioned, our core value that we are willing to give up what we believe for the truth because Scripture defines truth, not our ideas. We practice that at Word of Grace. We try to go, okay, if I'm reading the Bible and I disagree with what I see, then I need to wrestle and figure out what's wrong with my belief. Not, let me try and figure out a way I can explain this so that I'm still right. Not, let me try and figure out a way that I can, maybe if I cross-reference this verse over here and then I connect this one, put them all in a blender, and then I can justify what I want to believe. We have to be able to be in Scripture and be willing to go, this is something I still do. This week I was reading something that I was like, struggling with that verse relative to what I've come to believe to be true. And if you're not wrestling like that, you're probably not reading Scripture. And also, if your Christianity is always happy, comfortable, not uncomfortable, not wrestling with you, again, you're probably not exposing yourself to Scripture very much. We need to humble ourselves to Scripture, humble ourselves to God, and if we see something we don't like, because truth is not always comfortable. Truth, especially out of Scripture, is not always palatable. And if we see something we don't like, see something we don't agree with, we don't need to go, ah, how can I work this over? We need to go, am I, am I believing wrongly? The goal of seeking truth is to align our beliefs with reality. Is that not what the goal of seeking truth is? We want to live in reality. And truth matters because God makes it clear that truth is of high value to him. God makes it clear in Scripture that he is truth, that he is the source of truth, and that he only speaks truth to the degree that truth is one of the attributes of God. It is part of his character. It's part of his nature. There are many, many, many verses that that affirm this, but just a few, Romans 3, chapter 4, or Romans chapter 3, verse 4 says, let God be true, though every man were a liar, saying, if every man in the earth lies, God is true. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said it, will he not do it? Has he spoke it, will he not make it good? 2 Timothy 2, 13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Here's the famous one, John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There are many roads that lead to God. Oh, wait, that's not what that verse says, is it? It says, no man comes to the Father but by me. Well, Jesus, that's pretty exclusive. Don't you know you're kind of ostracizing some people with that statement? Jesus could only but speak the truth. I don't care what Oprah tells you or whatever some other celebrity or pop culture icon or philosopher or teacher, even some that would claim Christianity that say all paths lead to God, they disagree with Jesus. They disagree with Jesus. God is true. All truth comes from him. He only speaks truth. And therefore, God expects us to seek truth and to speak truth. God expects us to seek truth and to speak truth. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul is talking to his young disciple, Timothy, who's raise, he's raising in leadership. He tells him, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You know what that means? That means you can mishandle it. You can mishandle the word of truth. He says, study to show yourself approved so that you not be ashamed before God, showing yourself as one who can rightly handle the word of truth. That means we can mishandle, and people do mishandle the word of truth. There are people who are scholars of theology. I have a friend who got his master's in theology at a certain university and came out, went in a Christian, came out agnostic. What that tells me is his teachers and maybe even him were not necessarily humbling themselves and seeking truth. 
you can mishandle the word of truth. How do we make sure that doesn't happen to us? How do I make sure that as I'm seeking truth, I'm not one of those who falls into error? Well, one, we, God expects us to seek truth and speak the truth, but we need to seek the truth in humility and speak the truth in love. We need to seek the truth in humility and speak the truth in love. Well, how do, we, how do we even do that? How do we seek the truth in humility? Because a lot of people are studying and seeking so that they can either feel smart or so they can confirm what they already believe. That's called confirmation bias, where you have something that you believe, something that's your view, and you go, let me find the verses or let me find the blogger or the podcaster or the TV preacher or the whomever that believes the way I believe so I can go, oh, yeah, yeah, like that. It's called confirmation bias. That's wrong. We need to approach Scripture and go, God, show me truth. And if I believe something wrong, confront that wrong belief and fix, help me course correct my belief. I want to have right doctrine. I want to have right theology. Let's go to John chapter 8, a few chapters back. This is right after the famous story of the woman caught in adultery. There were these guys that brought this lady to Jesus and said, we've caught her red-handed in the very act of adultery. The law tells us that she must be stoned. Jesus, what do you say? We've heard this story, right? Where she's there and she's weeping. She's believing she's about to die. These guys say, the law says that she should be stoned. Jesus, what do you say we do? They wanted him to mess up. He stoops down, starts writing in the dirt. And they're like, Jesus, hello. We're not playing Pictionary right now. This woman was caught in adultery. She must be stoned. What do you say? He stands up and says, very well. Let him who has no sin cast the first stone. Oof. About that. You, not me, no, it's you. Every one of us knows we're sinners. Every single one of our conscience has borne witness with our sin nature. We're all sinners. So these guys drop their stones and go away one by one until Jesus says, where are your accusers? Do they not condemn you? She says, there are none. And Jesus says, I condemn you neither. Go and sin no more. This is right after that story. Verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them. There were still people that stuck around after some had dropped their stones and went away. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I love that he says this right after saying, go and sin no more. He says, I'll not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, well, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Ouch. That's not nice. That's not comfortable or politically correct. Where I'm going, you cannot come, Jesus said. Or, or, so the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It's exclusive, Jesus. 
Verse 25, so they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as my Father has taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, well, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He's saying you are slaves and you don't even know it. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the, uh, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. He's about to get really controversial. Verse 39, they answered him, well, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's child, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me as a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you, do not, you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of, the, of your father, the devil. Ouch. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear me or hear them is that you are not of God. Ouch. Can you imagine for a minute if Jesus was talking to you? What we like to do is pretend that he wasn't talking to us. We're like, yeah, get him, Jesus. Have you ever asked yourself, is he talking to me? He's telling these guys, you won't hear the truth, can't hear the truth, or unwilling to hear the truth. Why? Because you're of your father, the devil. That's controversial. What he's trying to tell them is, my father is God. I was born of a virgin Mary. I have no sin nature. My father is God. Your father, because you were born in sin, is Satan. And unless you are born again, you cannot hear and receive the truth. You cannot rightly divide the truth. You cannot discern the truth. You can study it all day long. But unless the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the truth, in one ear, out the other. That's why Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Many accounts in the New Testament where Jesus was speaking in parables, there were people that didn't understand what he was saying because they did not have ears to hear. See, I said that we must seek the truth in humility. We have to go, God, I, I, I really am humbling myself. I am a fallen human with great capacity for error. And I have feelings that can lead me astray. Jeremiah chapter 17 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. So it's dangerous for me to go, I'm just going to follow my heart. No, it's deceitful. It will lead you astray. 
The word of the Lord never changes. God never changes. No matter what way society and culture is going. I am the Lord God, I change not. The words of the Lord are true. They do not change. How do we seek the truth in humility? By acknowledging we can't even find truth without God. That's how we seek the truth in humility, going, God, I've got your word. Thank you. But as Jesus told his disciples, he said, guys, I'm going away. And they started freaking out. They're like, no, Jesus, you can't, you can't go away. We need you. We love you. We want you. We want, to keep, we want to stay with you. And he says, guys, 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 listen. And I'm paraphrasing. He says, it's better for you that I go. Because then my father will send the helper, the spirit of truth, who will guide you into all truth. Every time you open scripture, every time you entertain thoughts about God and start trying to seek truth, we ought to be coming in a posture of humility and saying, God, as I enter your word, as I read your word, I need you. I need you. Because there are many who are deceived about God even by reading scripture because they're not coming in humility wanting to know truth and wanting to know God. They're coming with their confirmation bias and they're coming with their preconceived ideas and they're coming with what they want to believe rather than going, who are you and what is true? The Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, we need to say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Guide me by the spirit of truth into truth. If I believe things wrong, God, crucify those wrong beliefs. I don't want to believe lies. I don't want to be led astray by my emotions and by my feelings and by what other people are telling me about you that might not be true. I want to know the truth. That's why John told his disciples in John 16, it's better for you because the Holy Spirit is going to guide you into all truth. I've said this in sermons before. I'll say it again, the illustration of the fact that my mom, my mom used to be a bank teller a long time ago, and they had to train her how to identify counterfeit bills. And they didn't do counterfeit bill training by giving them counterfeit bills and going, hold each one up to the light and do the marker. They trained them by handing them stacks of legitimate, authentic American currency. And they would sit there counting thousands and thousands and thousands of bills, real authentic currency. And then they would give my mom a stack that had one counterfeit bill snuck in it. And they'd be counting and not even looking at all of them counting like this. And all of a sudden... Something came across her touch that didn't feel right. It wasn't by studying the error. It wasn't by studying counterfeits. She had handled so much authentic currency that the counterfeit stood out like a sore thumb. Daily, guys. Daily, we've got to be handling the currency of truth. Daily. You cannot expect to be able to be standing strong against deception and all the voices and all the influences that are going to barrage you on a daily basis in 2020 in our world and in America, you cannot expect to have a spine to know and stand against the truth if you are not daily handling the word of truth. You can't. You can't do it. You will be swayed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and by your feelings and by whatever song you heard on the radio by whatever the weather's like or by your coworker or your family member or your friend's convincing argument. You've got to be in the word. Most Christians would not at all disagree with things that I've said so far. Like most Christians are going to be like, yeah, truth. Truth matters. Truth is important. God is true. His word is truth. Yeah. We're not here over the next few weeks starting this new series called True-ish because we want to talk about the things that are blatant, obvious, clearly deception, clear lies. Because if I came up here and I said, Jesus is not the Son of God, you'd be like, whoa, bro, no, whoa, hold on, false doctrine, false teacher. Because that's a clear, common, obvious teaching that is Orthodox Christianity Foundation 101. Jesus is the Son of God. He is both God and man, fully divine, fully man at the same time. That, that is 
foundational Christianity. If I came up here and said something like that, you'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. But those aren't the things that are dangerous to the Christian today. The things that are dangerous to the Christian today are the things that are true-ish. The things that sound true, even based off of Scripture, but Scripture taken out of its context. Guys, there are hundreds and thousands of famous, popular preachers that some of you love that are saying a lot of true things and therefore we've let down our guard and not saying that we want to be guarded against every preacher or teacher but we, we are just trusting them instead of handling the currency so that when they might say something that's true-ish, the Holy Spirit goes, whoa, something's wrong there. So that I went in the medical facility talking to this girl, and she's like, God is good. Amen. Jesus loves you. Amen. God is just like us. Thankfully, it sounds like most of you guys would have been able to have that flag come up as well, but some of the most popular preachers in the world today, some of the most famous guys that are getting all the shares on Facebook, some of the people that have massive followings, massive, massive followings, are teaching things that are truish, and we're not perceptive, we're not discerning, because, well, they're teaching the Bible, and they're praising Jesus, and we're singing songs about Jesus, singing songs that we like. And because of that, we just completely relax and say, give it to me. Instead of going, yeah, good. Oh, man, that's good. Amen. That's... Whoa. That's not right. How do you discern? How do you know? We've got to constantly, constantly apply ourselves to Scripture verse ourselves in scripture the more we know the more we will be ready for whatever might come our way it's the partial truths that are dangerous a little story from my past most of you probably don't know this about me and i'm just gonna tell you a little bit about my past and it will probably shock most of you maybe not um when i was in high school my senior year of high school as well as the first two years of college, um, I used to sell drugs. Most of you probably don't know that. Um, I sold drugs for three years. These hands handled millions and millions of dollars worth of drugs, as well as millions and millions of dollars. Um, I sold drugs to church members. I sold church, or I sold church. Sold drugs uh, to policemen. I sold drugs to sweet little old ladies. I sold drugs to rich people and poor people. I sold drugs to people of all walks of life. Uh, I did this for three years, and at that time, you know, handled lots of money. I drove a Lexus LX470, a Benz SL500, a Beamer 535i. Did this for about three years, and then I got to a point where I was going to move out of Arkansas, and I thought, you know what, if there's a time to really evaluate the course of my life. Do I, do I want to get out of this? It's probably now. There finally came a day where I decided, you know what? I no longer want to be a licensed pharmacy technician. <laughs> See, some of y'all were like, man, I can, I can relate to him now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. What did I just do? Every single thing I said was true. What I did was I stated facts, I even stated true to paint a picture that was not truth. It's happening a lot in pulpits today and in podcasts and in books and in conversations. This is actually what Satan's been doing from the beginning, right? If you open Genesis, you only have to get three chapters in to see this unfold. Satan comes in the form of a serpent in God's creation where everything's perfect and good and holy and flawless. He comes to God's created humans. He says to Eve, hey, and I'm paraphrasing again, 
says to Eve, hey, you should try the tree from this fruit, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. She says, uh, no, actually God told us we shouldn't eat from that tree because uh, the day we do, we'll die. And what does the serpent do? He presents question to what God has said. Did God really say you shouldn't? And then he goes on to say, no, 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 no. See, God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because he knows that when you do, you will be like him, knowing both good and evil. And unfortunately, Eve and Adam, says his husband who was with her, unfortunately, they did not go, no, God did say. Unfortunately, they went, oh, I haven't thought about it that way. I mean, it does look good. And it looks like it would probably taste good. And if it's going to give me that knowledge, well, maybe God didn't want me to because his motives are wrong. It's been happening from the beginning. Satan comes in and tries to get us to question God's word. Did he really say? And then question God's motive. No, no. He doesn't want you to know because then you won't need him. You'll be like him. We see the exact same thing. If we go fast forward to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has been baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and immediately he's led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. He's weak. He's probably trembling. He is fully human, and having not ate for 40 days, he's weak and trembling. He's hungry. And at the end of it, Satan comes up to him and says, Jesus, if you really are the Son of God, Command one of these stones to turn into bread. Imagine how hungry Jesus was, how much he probably wanted to do that. How does Jesus answer? I'm just going to flip there, Matthew chapter 4. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, questioning, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered. Do you know what Jesus said? What are the three first words he said? It is written. See, Jesus came as the second Adam, getting the test that Adam got in the garden. Where the serpent came in and said, did God really say? And unfortunately, they went, huh. That's interesting. You make some good points. And when Jesus comes in as the second Adam, as it teaches us in Romans chapter 5, Jesus comes in as the second Adam in the same test where if you are the Son of God, tearing those stones into bread and feed yourself. I know you're hungry. And Jesus passes the test by saying, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan doesn't go, ah, snap. He tries again. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And it's also written, notice, see, do we see what Satan's doing here? Do you see what he just did? took him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Satan takes scripture out of its context of Psalm 91, which is a passage about God being our refuge and our strength and our shelter. He lifts it out of that context and says, if you are God, throw yourself down, because it's said in Psalms 91 that he will give his angels charge over you and they will bear you up in their hands so you won't even stub your toe. And this is why we're talking about true-ish. Because that's true-ish. God's word did say that. But how does Jesus answer as one who really knows the scripture better than anyone even though Satan does clearly know scripture? 
He just quoted it to Jesus. That ought to make us go, huh, right? So it's not enough. We can't just take the preacher that we like and just go, well, they're preaching from the Bible, and they preach that Jesus died on the cross. Listen, we've got to be full of the Word. We've got to be full of the Holy Spirit. We've got to be discerning for when these true-ish moments come to us. I'm not saying let's have a critical spirit and go, I'm going to listen to every single preacher now like this. It's not what I'm saying. Again, we're not looking at every single bill going, let me look at this one, and let me look at this one. But we need to be full of the spirit, full of discernment, full of the word of truth. So when that moment does come, the Holy Spirit goes, uh, uh, uh. that's not true. I know they're teaching scripture, but that's not true. Might be true, but it's not truth. It's not fixed truth. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And, and it also says, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus said to him again, what did he say? It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again, the devil took him on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus says what? He said, be gone, Satan, for it is written. Three times deception came to him. Temptation came to him. Lies came to him. And three times he said, it is written. Can that be said of us? Can we be prepared for those moments the same way when the world tries to tell you, I know Christianity says that this isn't okay, but really, what does your heart tell you? No, it is written. I don't care what my feelings say. I don't care what pop culture says. I don't care what other people are saying. It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Satan's been doing this all along. Guys, this is his M.O. This is his only weapon, his only strategy, his only weapon for getting you bound. It's deception. His only weapon for leading you astray is deception. His only weapon for leading you into destruction is deception. And he's not scared to use scripture to do it. We've seen it right there. In fact, if we went to 1 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it's not in my notes, but I'm going to go there really quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is being accused of some things by some uh, false apostles. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16, he says, um, I'm sorry, not verse 16, it's verse 12, I believe. 2 Corinthians eleven twelve, 12. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, sorry, false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Some, some false teachers, false prophets, false apostles, whatever it may be, some of them teach out of a, a right motive of Believing what they believe, even though they believe error, maybe they grew up in it, maybe they have, it's all they've ever known, maybe they've never wrestled with and been honest with themselves and go, do I believe rightly? That happened to me when I was 26 years old. I was raised a certain way in Christianity, and it got to a point where I was reading scripture where I was like, too much of the scripture I'm reading is not agreeing with the way I was raised to believe. And at 26, I had to go, God, 
If I believe something's wrong, I want to believe truth. If, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's not palatable, even if I don't like it. And let me tell you, a lot of scripture, a lot of truth is uncomfortable. A lot of truth is painful. Some of it will even make us go, I don't, I don't necessarily like that. But that's where I have to go, God is smarter than I am. His ways, his thoughts are higher than mine. And the famous passage of 1 Corinthians 13, the love passage, Paul clearly states that we see in the mirror dimly. We prophesy in part, we know in part, but when that which is perfect is come and that which is uh, not perfect will be done away. And he goes on to say, when I spoke as a child, I thought as a, or when I was a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned as a child, I spoke as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things for we now see in a mirror dimly, but we will then see face to face. We now know in part, we will then know even as we are known. He's saying, guys, in this life, we, we only get a, a part of the picture. And some of the teachers out there that are teaching false doctrine are doing it even out of a right motive, even though they're wrong. And Paul talked to that somewhere else. But there are some who are straight up wolves in sheep's clothing, coming as ravenous wolves with a cloak of a sheep on so that you would think that they're with you, for you, like you. We need to seek the truth in humility and speak the truth in love. Especially, let me just say, after an election, speak the truth in love, please. If you can't speak it in love, shut your mouth. Do you love the person you're disagreeing with? Do you pray for their salvation? Do you ask God to grant them repentance and open their eyes to their need for him? Or do you just go, you're wrong. That's not speaking the truth in love. You want to know if you really love someone? Ask yourself, have I prayed for them when no one else sees it? Have I prayed for them when no one else is watching? God, thank you for your word. How wonderful that you gave us your word. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to just be led by our feelings and our emotions and culture. You gave us the gift of your word and you gave us your Holy Spirit. If there's anyone in here today that does not know you, is not filled with your Holy Spirit and transformed by your grace into a new creation, God, I ask that right now you would open their eyes to their need for you. Help them to see the truth, believe the truth, embrace the truth. And as we just read in John, let that truth set them free. Let the Son who sets them free would cause them to be free indeed. Grant all of us the humility to wrestle with our, our belief, to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling, taking this seriously, that we could be faithful ambassadors for you. Calling people into repentance, calling people to your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.